This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence. Please be advised. It's early morning, Thursday, June 21st, 1990. 21 days since the Zodiac shot Joseph Prochi in front of his house on the Brooklyn-Queens border. A special operation is in effect, Operation Watchdog. All night, the Zodiac Task Force circles a five-block area where the first three shootings occurred, looking for the Zodiac. But he has other plans. He takes an A-train to Central Park and shoots a homeless man. For Task Force leader Sergeant Michael Cirovolo, the fourth shooting changes the scope of the investigation. He's got a victim in Central Park. Now, where do I concentrate the manpower? The victim, 30-year-old Larry Parham, was sleeping on a park bench near the bandshell. He woke up to a burning sensation in his chest, said he saw a guy running away. The Zodiac left a note on the bench, written on loose-leaf paper in blue ballpoint pen and green felt-tip marker. The 12 signs will die when the belts in the heaven are seen. Like other notes written by Zodiac, there was a drawing of crosshairs and a Zodiac chart with three astrological signs. At the bottom of the note was a drawing of the symbol for cancer, the fourth sign, it said. That was true. Larry Parham's sign was cancer. That note was sent to the lab. We also were able to dig around, and we got another round, and that was sent to the lab. It went in and out of the victim, and it was lodged in the bench. Sergeant Cerevolo's long night turned into an even longer day. Chief Borelli calls me again, and he says, I'm going to give you a task force. I'm going to give you the best detectives in New York City, and we got to get this guy, and we got to get him quick. This case had become so high profile so quickly this great urgency to this, because now the press is running with this case. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and you're listening to Breaking a Case, a true crime podcast written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. This is the story of the New York Zodiac copycat, In the last episode, a serial shooter calling himself the Zodiac introduces himself to the city in a letter to the New York Post. On a night when cops are determined to catch him in East New York, Brooklyn, he foils them by shooting his fourth victim in Central Park. I was like, this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. And then I realized it was not going to be as quick as I originally thought. This is... The New York Zodiac Copycat, Episode 2. We need to put this fire out. Coming right up after the break. Zodiac's letters were a window into his soul. He wanted to control his own narrative. He wanted to create fear. To the public, his use of the Zodiac in choosing victims was terrifying. Everyone wanted to know, how did he know his victims' birth signs? All four victims were shot from behind. They were all men, and they were all vulnerable in one way or another. The first sign is dead on March 8, 1990, 1.45 a.m. White man with cane shot on the back in the street. 59-year-old Mario Orozco worked nights at a Manhattan restaurant. Early in the morning on March 8, 1990, he got off the subway in East New York and started the 10-block journey to his home. 
at the intersection of Atlantic and Sheridan Avenues, he noticed a man wearing a mask and gloves coming towards him from across the street. Orozco turned away. He felt a gun press against his back and heard a bang. The second sign is dead on March 29, 1990, 2.57 a.m. White man with black coat shot in the side in front of house. Jermaine Montanestro had been at a party. He was slowly making his way down Nichols Avenue in East New York. Out of nowhere, someone came up and shot him on his left side. He didn't see the guy coming or going. He collapsed about four blocks from where Mario Orozco was shot. Fortunately, he was able to make it down the block to his father's house and get help. All four victims were easy targets. Two elderly men who needed a cane to walk, one intoxicated man, and one man sleeping on a park bench with his coat over his head. In each shooting, a single bullet was discharged. He wrote in his notes, all 9mm, 9mm, or 380, RNL, round nose lead, no groove on bullet. And he told the truth. There were no striations on the rounds. Every victim, one shot. So we figure he's using a weapon with one shot capability. It's not, you know, coming out of the barrel of a semi-automatic or a revolver, otherwise we'll see the striations. As a bullet fires out of a gun, the ridges and grooves inside the barrel leave microscopic markings called striations. Striations on different bullets can be compared to see if they came from the same gun. In this case, no striations on the slugs meant that either the Zodiac filed down the barrel or he was using a zip gun. A zip gun is a homemade gun, a short piece of pipe. You can make one with a rubber band and a nail. And as long as you have something striking the primer of a cartridge inserted into the pipe, it'll discharge and the projectile has no place to go but out. Pipes may not have ridges and grooves, but they still leave markings on bullets that could be compared under a microscope. Within a day of Larry Parham's shooting, the lab results were in. The bullet that went through Parham was a 38 caliber and it matched the bullet from the Joseph Prochi shooting. Also, fingerprints were found on the letter left behind in Central Park. However, when investigators ran them through city, state, and federal databases, there was no match. At a two-story brick building at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, detectives worked the phones. This was headquarters for the Zodiac Task Force, put together by the chief of detectives, Joseph Borelli. And he gets us a huge office space, and there's one smaller office for the bosses, and one huge room for the detectives with desks and typewriters. And he gets 10 police officers, white shields, who are on restricted duty with, uh, you know, uh, a cast on his left hand or uh, a guy who's got a badly sprained ankle and can't go on patrol. And he assigns 10 or 12 of them just to take phone calls, because they set up a hotline. Zodiac Task Force Officer Jones. 
Zodiac Task Force, how can I help? And it looked like the Jerry Lewis telethon. The phones would ring 24-7. I think my neighbor is the Zodiac because he goes out every night at 1 o'clock in the morning and he doesn't come home till the morning. Recorded, what's your name, what's the address? There were now 50 detectives from across the city working on the case. This tip is coming in from Staten Island, so we'll send two teams to Staten Island and four teams to Brooklyn and three teams in Manhattan. They got some good leads. We got a lot of cockamamie ones, too. People called in their co-workers. They reported strange behavior in laundromats. Tenants gave up their landlords, wives, their ex-husbands. At a diner in the 7-5, someone reported a man who talked to himself and drew weird symbols on the placemats. There were tips from callers claiming to be the Zodiac himself. The week following Larry Parham's shooting, a thousand tips were recorded. Every lead had to be followed up. In his letters, the Zodiac referenced astrology and the occult, Faust, Orion, and the Seven Sisters. Two detectives from the Major Case Squad, known as the Swami Squad, spent time investigating this angle. They did a crash course in the occult in the reading room of the main branch of the New York City Public Library and even followed up on a few leads. But their bookwork never led them to the person who called himself Zodiac. With the help of the FBI, the NYPD developed a profile of the shooter. Ray Pierce, he was an NYPD detective, but he was trained at Quantico. He was the department psychological profile. Pierce confirmed some things about the Zodiac that some on the task force already suspected. He's going to be a loner. He's a kind of a jack of all trades, master of none knows a little bit about everything, which he did. He knew about Faust. He knew astronomy. He knew astrology. He read a lot of books, but he wasn't an expert on anything. He was also uh, like a guy who could work in a machine shop making zip guns. And I remember a lot of us sitting around drinking coffee and saying, we're giving him too much credit. He's not going to be as brilliant as we think he is. Two days after the Central Park shooting, the New York Post got a second letter. This is the Zodiac. I have seen the Post, and you say the note was sent to the Post, not similar to any of the San Francisco Zodiac letters. The New York Zodiac was insisting he was the San Francisco Zodiac. It is one of the same Zodiac. One Zodiac. He was protesting too much. Any connection to the San Francisco killer had already been debunked. Once again... He boasted about his Central Park victim. There were grammatical mistakes in the letter, which may or may not have been intentional. There was a drawing of a man wearing an executioner's hood with crosshairs on his chest. It was straight out of Robert Greatsmith's Zodiac book. He signed it Faust with the symbol of an upside-down cross with three sixes. The sixes were positioned at the east, west, and south points of the cross. Again, the Zodiac was placing a dramatic emphasis on the occult and alluding to a bargain with the devil. The following Sunday, June 25th, after fighting an infection related to his bullet wound, Joseph Proci passed away. His case shifted to a homicide. As Siravolo explains, Chief Borelli was on a mission. It put a lot of pressure on us. And, you know, even though, to me, the chief of detectives is God, 
he's under a lot of pressure from the police commissioner, who's his boss. And so you, you could just feel the tension and the strain, and it flows down, and it's flowing, <laughs> flowing to me. Larry Parham didn't get a look at his shooter, but he remembered this. Several days before he was shot, a man came up to him in the park and asked him his sign. He described this person as a heavy-set black man with a short beard, receding hairline, and a double chin. The next day, a sketch was released. So now, this sketch of a heavy-set black man is what the public is seeing. And I know in my heart, it's not even close. The picture was plastered on every newspaper and shown on every local TV station. But it wasn't based on the description of an eyewitness. The only victim who came face-to-face with the Zodiac was 78-year-old Joseph Croce, and he gave conflicting descriptions to detectives from his hospital bed. It has you chasing your tail, and you know it's not going to reap any harvest. You know it. One East New York resident who resembled the sketch was stopped so many times, detectives gave him a note to carry that said, I've been stopped by detectives, and they have determined that I am not the Zodiac. The same day the sketch was released, Mayor Dinkins offered a $10,000 reward for information leading to the Zodiac's arrest. What it did was the nuts were coming out of the woodwork. People were seeing the Zodiac all over town. Even the psychics got in on the action. I was swimming in my pool on a Sunday afternoon, and I get a call from the chief of detectives office saying, Mike, chief wants you to meet this woman at the Plaza Hotel. She wants to feel the bullets, and she wants to see the notes. And we get into her suite at the Plaza Hotel on a beautiful, hot, hot summer day. She had flown in from someplace. So we went and we interviewed her. And before we interviewed her, she had to have a few glasses of wine. And we listened politely. And then I think we took her to the lab so she could touch what she wanted to touch. As Cerevolo expected, the interview with the psychic was a bust. And there were others, too many to recall. The task force stayed busy that summer. Every 21 days, they scheduled a new Operation Watchdog. We stepped up to the plate a number of these Thursdays, and we struck out every time. Why? Because he stopped shooting. Zodiac went quiet, perhaps with the knowledge that police had his fingerprints. Or maybe he enjoyed subverting the NYPD's best laid plans. On the Wednesdays before each special operation, the front pages of the tabloids put everyone on high alert. Zodiac traps baited. 21-day pattern says he's due to strike again tonight. When the special operations failed to yield results, investigators went back to the letters for clues. Oh, I had conversations with people from NASA to try to explain certain things to me. The Zodiac had some knowledge of the constellations in the night sky. Orion is the one that can stop the Zodiac and the Seven Sisters. It was true that during the majority of his attacks, the constellations of Orion and the Seven Sisters were not in the night sky. And we were trying to understand certain things that he was alluding to in his writings. 
And he also makes a mention of the Zodiac will strike when the zodiacal light is seen. For help with that, Cerevolo called up the director of the Hayden Planetarium. I said, what is the zodiacal light? He says, the zodiacal light. I said, oh, I'm mispronouncing it. He said, yeah, that's fragments that come off the sun. They're dust particles that when the sun is in a certain position twice a year, it gives off a zodiacal light. To Cerevolo, it seemed that some of the astrological references in the letters were more of a distraction than anything else. But the public was spooked. People in bars are afraid to, you know, back in those days, hey, honey, what sign are you? Well, people would like freak out and call 911 if some guy on the prowl at a bar on the Upper East Side asked what sign they were. Investigators looked into less obvious ways the Zodiac discovered his victim's signs. Did he work for the census? Was he a cashier at a check cashing joint? So what we did with that is we made a chart comparing all four victims to commonality. Do their lives intersect in any way, shape, or form? Do they go to the same doctor? Do they go to the same social security office? And there was never any melding of the four of them. That summer, New York Post reporter Ann Murray didn't get much rest. Because I was the police beat reporter, you know, the desk sort of said, well, you're, you're the main person on the story now, so, you know... In those days, we had, believe it or not, beepers for the editors to get in touch with us. So I was tied to that beeper, you know, 24-7 anyway. And once the Zodiac story happened, they were beeping me like, you know, every 20 minutes, is there anything new? Did you talk to this one? Did you talk to that one? It was really kind of crazy. On top of that, Chief Borelli clamped down on the leaks. It was really hard to get information after that first day because, you know, Borelli just locked it all down. I mean, I would call people and they would say, Annie, I can't talk to you. My job is at risk here. I'm really sorry. I just can't talk to you. The case was all-consuming for everyone involved. It was hard for journalists to cover. It was hard for the cops to solve. I probably worked 15, 16 hours a day through that whole summer. I remember I had reservations to go to Wildwood, New Jersey. My, my sons were small, and I, I had paid for the vacation, so I really didn't want to go. But my wife said, you have to go on vacation. First of all, you're going to burn out. Second of all, you're never home. You got to go on vacation. So I went on vacation, but I went up to the hotel room from the beach or the pool probably a half a dozen times a day to use the, the phone in the hotel room to call the office to see what was doing. So I was there physically, but mentally I was at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. At the Brooklyn Navy Yard, the phones didn't let up. Task Force Officer Jones. By July, the task force had 600 pages of phone logs and 100 cassette tapes of messages. It's really important that we're talking about these tips that are coming in like Niagara Falls. You have to remember, we're typing these DD5s on electric typewriters. How do you correlate a tip that came in on Wednesday, wasn't already called in the week prior and was already checked out? How do you do that? 
We had over a thousand VD5s. Chief Borelli, once again, he said, I have a guy in my office is a computer expert, and he's going to bring something to the task force and set it up. He arrived with a computer and a scanner. And he sets it up in the big room, and we have now filing baskets of pink DD5s, of interviews, of this, of all the tips that have been followed up. And you put all the fives in, and it probably takes a minute and a half for one long DD5 to go through. But it'll tell you if Joe Blow, who was mentioned on DD5 number 32, is now mentioned on DD5 number 628. That was the pioneer forefront of the utilization of computers and databases in an investigation. I believe this was the first time it was utilized by the NYPD. The technology was a step in the right direction, but the case had gone cold. So cold that detectives checked morgues and hospitals for the suspect in case the Zodiac had gotten sick or died. We used to say, just let him leave a note someplace without a body, you know? Give us something else. So as these 21-day intervals kept passing with nothing to report, I get a call from Borelli, and it's too expensive to keep this thing rolling. So he sends everybody back to their commands. I had three guys from Manhattan North Homicide, two guys from Brooklyn South Homicide. I had an all-star team. By the end of August, the Zodiac Task Force at the Brooklyn Navy Yard closed shop. Cerevolo was transferred to the 115 squad. He kept a handful of detectives on call. I'm in a busy squad now. I had 39 homicides my last year in 1992 in the uh, 115 squad. I've got 10 people shot in one nightclub on one night. So I'm busy with other stuff. Now I'm only getting together with the task force, a couple of members, to check out a, an occasional tip here and there. On a regular basis, Cerevolo checked in with New York's statewide automated fingerprint identification system, otherwise known as SAFIS. The system had gone online the year before and was another shiny new digital tool. I'm calling people at SAFIS. Are you running these prints against arrests daily? Yes, they're assuring me that they are, and there's no hit. And when a tip would come in, we'd meet and go and interview the person. There were some decent tips, but nothing ever, ever panned out. In January 1992, Cirovolo reached a crossroads in his career. Then I got a, a great job offer, and uh, I retired in uh, January of 92. At the same time, he was reluctant to leave the Zodiac case behind. I took it, but I took it with a heavy heart, and because I did want to clean this up before I went, but the timing wasn't right. And so after 23 years on the job, he retired as a lieutenant at the 115th Detective Squad in Queens. And the Zodiac? He was silent for now. In the next episode of Breaking the Case, fear grips the city again as the Zodiac returns. He's out writing letters and shooting people. I fell asleep studying the letters because I, I knew there's a lot of information in those letters. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Case. 
The Zodiac Letters were read by Detective Michael Smirtek. Breaking the Case is written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every Tuesday in Season 3. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe.